Well, good morning. I think um, Satan is on overtime today. Um, we're going pulpitless this morning. I'll explain to you why. I don't even know how this thing drops down. But um, it's kind of ironic that not only do we not have water um, at the church today that we can drink, but um, this morning, before this first service started, our sound and video guy got really sick and had to leave. So we were out without a sound and video guy. And then people came into us and said, Edgewood Road is closed. There's a train stuck on the train tracks on Edgewood Road. And we're like, oh, no. So right before I got up to preach, I got one of the guys seen over here. I said, hey, help me move the pulpit over for the sermon. And we picked up the pulpit, and the whole glass top came off the top, and the, and the rest of the pulpit was still on the ground. So we realized that Satan is a little bit on overdrive today. But the nice thing is, he was defeated. And he's not going to stop us from going forward. So we will preach from a, a music stand this morning. I wanted to um, just highlight a couple things for you guys. Um, in our current, um, by the way, I encourage you to read this every week. And we do focus on what is most important for everyone to know what's going on each time. But I want to highlight two events today. One for the women. If you have signed up for the Women's Simply Christmas event tomorrow night, it is on. So we probably may not have drinking water, but they'll be bringing in stuff from the outside. And again, we're not going to let that distract us. Um, so we will have um, Simply Christmas tomorrow night. And then also today, right after this service, there's a special, a special session going on that our finance team put together to talk about year-end giving and tax-related um, issues. So that if you, there's tax laws and things that have been passed, and if you would like to get guidance on that, in the Woodside room after this service, they're holding that. I'm sure they would love to have you stop in, if, even if you haven't signed up for it. You can still join that if you would like to. But um, as we get started, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather together this morning. Lord, we're reminded of how many distractions there are in this, in this world that we live in. Things that can take our focus away from you. Things that can take our hearts away from worship. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be prepared to worship you. I pray that as we read your word this morning, that you would open up our eyes, that you would teach us, that you would draw us to yourself. And Lord, we pray that in this service, Lord, that we would be surrendered to Christ and Lord, that your spirit would change us transform us. Father, each of us come in here with, with sins. We come in with trials. We come in with our minds on many things. And Father, I pray that we would be repentant, that we would be surrendered before you. And Lord, do a great work in us and among us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, this morning we're going to be talking about an interesting topic. It's a little bit different. If you're a guest here this morning, uh, we are taking a little bit of a one-week break from our series on the book of James. We're going to be finishing that up next Sunday, and we're going to be sharing about Advent, and it's um, something that we really don't do a lot. I'll touch on that in a, in a moment, but as we get started, what I want you to do is picture that it's Christmas morning in your mind right now, and all of your life you have been told that one Christmas, you don't know when, you don't know what year, you are going to receive a gift from God, the perfect Christmas gift, the gift that is going to meet your wildest expectations and dreams, but you don't know when it's coming. 
and you go throughout your whole life and you're anticipating what is this gift going to be? And then one Christmas morning you wake up and you go downstairs and there it is right under the tree in a beautiful red box with a red ribbon on it. And you're so excited you start wondering what is in it. You're filled with anticipation. And as you walk towards the box, you realize you're stopped and you can't get to the box. There's something blocking your way. And no matter what you do, you can't go through it, you can't go around it, you can't go over it. You can't get to that awesome Christmas gift that you've been waiting for for years. And then you realize what is blocking you from God's most precious gift is sin. And as you're sitting there thinking about how you can get to that box, there's a knock on the door. And you answer the door, and there's a man standing there. And you open the door up, and he says his name is Jesus. And he says that he can help you get to that gift. But he says he is the only one who can help you. And you're sitting there wondering, well, what should I do? Do I let him in? He seems kind. He seems loving. He seems like a really nice guy. But how arrogant to think that he says he is the only person in all of the world that can help you get to that gift. You know, everyone who's ever lived has been given a gift from God. And there's something blocking everyone's access to that gift. And in the Old Testament, they didn't know about the person of Jesus Christ, but there were still requirements that always went through Jesus eventually to get to that gift. But for us on the other side of the cross, all of us have received that gift from God, but our sin keeps us from opening it. And Jesus is the only way to get to that gift. You know, and that Christmas morning, you're thinking to yourself, wow, I, I, you know what, I know other people have let Jesus in. And Jesus has come in and he's removed that sin and taken it away completely to give access to the gift. But others, most people, chose not to trust Jesus and they didn't let him in. And instead of opening the gift, they just go on their lives just ignoring that gift and just almost forgetting it's even there and opening all the other gifts that the world has to offer. Things that bring temporary pleasures, but never fulfill the longing for God's most precious gift. You see, as we celebrate Advent, what we're celebrating is the anticipation of what God did by giving us this gift. In the Old Testament, for centuries and centuries and centuries, they knew that the Christ was coming at some time. They just didn't know when. Now for us, we live on the other side of the cross and we know about the person of Jesus Christ. See, for us as a church, Advent is a combination of, if you saw it in the video as well, it's a looking back to the birth of Jesus Christ, to the Christ himself, the Messiah, that came into Jesus' first coming in the form of a little baby born in a manger. And so we can look back and for those of us who now, we can look at the scriptures and we can see the person of Jesus. Our longing, our anticipation should be so much more passionate than those who went before the cross because we know who Jesus is. You see, 
as the church as well today, we also look forward. Because just as the scriptures predicted and prophesied the coming of the Messiah, and 2,000 years ago, he came and he fulfilled all of those Old Testament prophecies, the New Testament is filled with predictions and telling us that Jesus Christ is coming again. So the church today, when we celebrate Advent, we can look backwards, but we can look forward in knowing just as those scriptures in the Old Testament were fulfilled 2,000 years ago, that very same Jesus is coming back again. You see, so Advent, it's a looking back and it's a looking forward. I want to give you a little bit of um, background on Advent because um, it's not something that we celebrate around here. Matter of fact, um, I grew up Presbyterian for 26 years. I was Baptist for a couple, for eight years, non-denominational. I was kind of like a spiritual mutt. Um, and then coming here to Riverstone, we're an evangelical free church. I was passing one, past one of our Presbyterian brothers and I said to him on my way up here, I said, hey, we're getting a little Presbyterian today. Because, you know, in my 11 years here at Riverstone Church, we've never celebrated Advent. And I don't think the church probably has even before that in the history of, River, of Bible Fellowship Church is what we were called before. And so we don't tend to celebrate Advent. We, I, if you notice in the video, it had the word liturgy. And I think sometimes as evangelical churches, we're kind of like liturgy, you know. But there is such a richness. Um, I remember when we, as a staff, we decided to celebrate Advent this year. And I'm going to tell you in a few, just a little bit of why and a little later. But um, we decided, well, you know what, we better teach on it if we're going to celebrate it. And Tom and I were having breakfast, and we were talking about the upcoming preaching schedule, and we both looked at each other and said, I've never done it. Neither of us have. So we thought, well, we really better teach this to the church family. So that's why this morning we thought we would give you guys a little background on what Advent is. But Advent, it begins the fourth Sunday before Christmas, which happens to be today, December 2nd, and it ends on Christmas Eve. And if you look at Advent, you can see right here, we have an Advent wreath. Uh, most Advent wreaths have five candles. I'm going to walk you through what these candles are, but what you do is um, you light, and we're going to be lighting in our worship services every Sunday up, leading up to Christmas, one of these candles. Um, so as you celebrate, you start out by one of the purple ones, and you light it this week, and there's scripture that goes with the lighting of that candle, all preparing our hearts to celebrate the coming of Jesus. Week two, you light the candle for next week, plus this week's candle, so next week you'd have two burning. Obviously week three, the pink one is the third week, you light these two, plus the new pink one, all the way up, obviously the fourth week, you do four, and then on Christmas Eve, you light the center white candle. Let me show you on the slides what these represent. Candle number one is a purple candle. And you light that, and the purple candle for week number one represents hope. And when we talk about hope, think of hope as a believing and a longing for something while trusting that God will keep his promises. So picture back in the Old Testament, they had hope that God would send the Christ. And they had the scriptures and they believed that one day the Christ was coming. And we know that he did. Um, week number two, it's a purple candle again, and that represents love. And it represents the love that Jesus Christ brings into the world. And then week three, it's a pink candle that represents joy. And I'm going to read this definition to you of joy. Joy, it's a good feeling in the soul and I don't want to stop there because 
produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word of God and in the world. See, that's joy. It's a great feeling in the soul, but not just like just the warm fuzzies. It's produced by the Holy Spirit because of Jesus Christ. Then week four, the um, purple candle, the last purple candle represents peace. And it's a reminder that Jesus Christ came into this world to bring peace between God and people. A true peace. And then the fifth candle, the white candle, that's the, people call it, that's the Christ candle, the Jesus candle. And as the angels proclaimed, he will save his people from their sins. So that's what Advent represents. Um, the word Advent comes from a Latin word meaning Adventus, well, that, the Latin word Adventus, which means coming, simply coming. And as Christians over the centuries celebrated Advent, not only did that word, the concept of coming, come into their celebrations, but also the word anticipation became a big word at Advent as Christians anticipated the coming of Jesus Christ. So historically, you know, I went, well, actually, I want to ask this question too, is that, you know, must we celebrate? I mentioned we, had, we don't, we're not used to it here. Do we have to celebrate Advent? No, it's, it's completely optional. I've already been asked, are we going to do it again? Well, I'll give you a definite maybe. And um, reason being, we don't have to celebrate Advent. Um, we were thinking, you know, maybe we'll do it every other year. Maybe we'll do something because um, it really does bring your church together, puts the focus on Christ. It's been, a lot, it's been a lot of fun. We also don't want it to just become tradition that we just kind of lose the significance of why we're doing it. So we, we may do it. We, you know, we're not quite sure yet. And um, I want to just also talk about what is so special about Advent. And I'm going to give a little bit of an encouragement right now to the parents that are here. If you think about the Christmas season, your kids are flooded with stories about what? Santa Claus, Rudolph, Frosty. Now, how in the world can we compete with a big, you know, big jolly man in a red suit that brings all the toys that they might want, a talking snowman, a flying reindeer with a red nose? See, that's what we're competing against with the hearts of our kids. And I'm not, I'm not saying all those things are evil and we shouldn't do them, but here's the question. It is so easy for Jesus to get lost in the midst of all that. What is more exciting for a five-year-old kid? A flying reindeer who brings presents? Or you to pull out your Bible and tell them you want to talk about Jesus. You see now, but here's the key. Parents, if you're not excited about the coming of Jesus Christ, there's no way your kids are going to be excited. It starts with you. And if you approach it with excitement and passion, your kids are going to pick up on, wow, this is really significant that Jesus Christ came into the world, and that's why we're celebrating Christmas. This past Wednesday night, this room was filled. We had almost 300 people here in two different time slots making Advent wreaths, putting them together. This is one that was put together. looks a lot better than mine because I think Tracy Wishart built this one. Um, but this is one of the Advent wreaths that we made, and we gave out the candles, the five candles. Uh, we also gave out um, a book. Oh, you know what? I think I forgot to bring the one up here. Um, we gave out a family book. Yeah, I did. Um, that for Advent, there's some of them, if you would like one, there's some on the information, the, wel the Welcome Center outside in the lobby. But in that book, it includes 
the, a, 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 the kind of a devotional message on each of these themes, like one page on hope, on love, on joy, and a scripture reading that goes with each of those so that when you're at home, you can light these candles at home and celebrate Advent and read the scriptures, whether you're a, a single, married couple, married with kids, whatever, you can put Christ at the center of your home and we're, it's great because it's equipping families and individuals to do that at home. So we talked about it as a church and we said, you know what, if this is getting our people to open up the word of God, it's getting families to come together to prepare hearts for Christmas, that's a win-win. So that's why we decided to do Advent this year. But you can pick up one of the booklets if you want, the family books. And I'm going to touch on the, um, another one at the end of the sermon. But as we look about, you know, settling, some celebrating Advent, what I'd like to do is I'm going to ask if our um, ushers would come forward with Bibles, because we're going to go through a lot of Scripture today. And if you would like to read through along with us, just raise your hand. Um, they will give you a Bible. You can take it home. It's, it's our, our Christmas present to you guys. But um, I'll have the Scripture on the screen as well. But I'd like to talk about three reasons to celebrate Advent. And the first of those reasons is that Advent connects us to centuries of church tradition. Now, I had to laugh. I'm going to give you guys a little inside story. Benjamin and I were planning this service together, and we started to get, I guess maybe you're meeting too long, we started to get a little silly, because Janet and I, my wife Janet and I, had just, with like about a month ago, went down into the city and saw the Broadway production of A Fiddler on the Roof. So I told Benjamin, I said, Benjamin, I said, listen, when every time as I'm preaching on Sunday and I mention the word tradition, you stand out in the back and just break out into Tevier's version of tradition. And um, Benjamin, he, he loved the idea. And he goes, yeah, he goes, and then I can get Margie to come up on the platform and I can sing to her, do you love me? And, um, and then we got to the point of saying, yeah, and then we, for the offertory, we can sing If I Were a Rich Man. And um, <laughs> thankfully, we scrapped that idea. It was a moment of silliness, but um, I want to give you a little history on Advent. Um, Advent goes back, the earliest known time of recording of Advent goes back to about 380 A.D. In one of the church councils, they talk about Advent. And at the time, for about 150 years, Advent was celebrated by the church on December, from December 17th to December 29th. And Christians would attend church services every day between the 17th and the 29th of December as they were preparing their hearts. And what they would do is they would have a time of confession as they confessed their sins and they anticipated the quick coming of Jesus Christ. Then in the 5th and 6th centuries, they don't know, we don't know when, um, Advent started to then use the same dates that we use today to celebrate Advent. So that goes back into like, the, you know, somewhere in the five, six hundreds, um, they started to celebrate Advent, the same dates we have. Matter of fact, they have some Advent sermon series that were preached in the 5th and 6th centuries in churches celebrating Advent. And historically, what they did was the first two weeks of Advent um, were looking forward to the future, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then the last two weeks of Advent, the church celebrated by looking back upon the birth of Jesus Christ and how Jesus came into the world at his first coming. So that's how they celebrated Advent. So as, I look, as you look at that first point, what we're doing is following in the footsteps of over 1,600 years of Christians within the church 
as the church celebrated and prepared itself for the coming of Jesus Christ each Christmas. So that's reason number one. Reason number two is that Advent reminds us of generations of saints longing for the Messiah. Now, when I say the word saints there, I'm really saying disciples, followers of Jesus. And this one is, the first one's focused more on the church and the tradition of the church. The second one has more to do with the hearts of people. And it reminds us that before the cross, in the Old Testament, for centuries and centuries, God's people were anticipating and longing for the coming of the Christ. And since then, I mentioned to you already that the church now, we look back on the first coming and we look forward to the second. But what we're doing is we're joining in with generations of Christians before us who have longed for the coming of Jesus Christ. You see, I want to, um, one of the things that's really interesting, you talk about this longing, is there's a Jesus um, after his death and resurrection, but before his ascension, Luke chapter 24 records what is known as the road to Emmaus. And Jesus was walking along the, actually two of Jesus' disciples were walking along the road, talking to each other, and the crucifixion was not too far in the past. As a matter of fact, this was, they didn't even, they hadn't even seen Jesus yet, the resurrected Jesus. So they're talking about the crucifixion and what just happened. Picture, these were two Jewish men, two of his disciples, who thought that the long-awaited Christ had come in Jesus Christ. But he was crucified. He was in a tomb. What happened? And these two disciples are walking along the road, and Jesus joins them. And what's really cool is that Jesus takes the scriptures, it would have been the Old Testament, and he opens them up, and he shows to these two disciples how he had come to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Christ. And we're going to take a look at that. I want to read. It's Luke chapter 24, if you want to turn to it. And we're going to pick up reading in verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, and they said to him the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. See, there's that hope. These disciples are saying, we thought he was the Christ. We were hoping for all that would come when the Messiah shows up. And you can see the confusion and the sorrow. Picking up in verse 21 again. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also women among us amazed us 
when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. So now Jesus himself is talking about the prophecies that are predicting the coming of the Christ. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Could you imagine being part of that Bible study? Wouldn't it have been so amazing to walk along that road and Jesus Christ himself takes the Old Testament and just unfolds it all the way to show how he fulfilled those prophecies. I think that's probably the, that would probably be the sermon I would long to be part of and hear the most out of any. And um, I'm a little bit nervous because I'm kind of stepping into his shoes here and I guarantee you he did a better job than I will. But um, as, as we go through this, what I'd like us to do is I would like us this morning, we're going to take our own walk along the road of Emmaus, and we're going to go back and starting in the book of Isaiah, I could have picked a lot of scripture. Um, I had to pick several, but we're going to do our own walk through the scriptures to see what was it that Jesus may have shared with these disciples along that road to Emmaus. Let's pick up the first reading in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. So we go all the way back to the book of Isaiah, predicting that a virgin will be with child and bear a son. We go on in Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Picture that verse, it starts out, a child will be born to us. And look at how that verse ends. He's going to be called Mighty God, Eternal Father. Just picture that concept. A baby is going to come into the world, and this little baby is going to be called Mighty God and Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7 in the same chapter. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So who was it that accomplished everything that comes with the birth of Jesus Christ and his ongoing ministry? It says the Lord himself, that there'll be no, incre- no end to the increase of his government. It talks here about on the throne of David. Every Davidic king prior to this, man, they faced a death and the kings were any arrangement from terrible to not so good to eh. There weren't too many good ones along the way. And here is Jesus Christ on the throne of David And he's going to establish it with justice and righteousness. We go on to Isaiah 53. I'm going to read about 10 or 11 verses here. This chapter is known as the the, the suffering servant, is what we call Isaiah chapter 53. I'm picking up in verse 3. It says, 
He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Picture that, that little baby crushed for our iniquities. He wasn't a baby anymore, was he? And think about who that little baby became in the glorified Jesus Christ. It goes on. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. All of our sin upon, this, upon the Christ. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. He did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due? Who should have received that stroke for the sins? You and me. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. See, that's, that's our Christ, and that's what he's doing for us right now. Go on to the book of Micah. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, it's talking about the little town of Bethlehem. Sounds familiar at Christmas time? But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathath, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. How did Jesus come into Jerusalem? On a colt. Yep. Now, I'm going to move us into the New Testament because we've seen here, these are the prophecies coming along in the Old Testament. And as we get to the New Testament, I mentioned that word anticipation, the longing that these people of God had we're going to see some of that amazement and some of the longing that was on display when the Christ child, when Jesus came into the world. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, 
Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. See, right up to the time of Christ's birth, they were still anticipating the coming of the Christ. And here they come, these, you know, we, what we may say, the wise men in our you know, nativity scenes. These magi from the east came looking for the king of the Jews. Matthew 2, 4 and 5. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people. This is Herod now doing this. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And we just read what prophet that was that predicted that he would be born in Bethlehem. Now, Herod, you know what? He wasn't trying to find where this child would be born to go worship him, was he? Herod wanted to kill him because he was going to be king of the Jews. Who was king of the Jews at that time? Herod was called king. He wanted to kill the child that was born because of jealousy. We go on in Matthew chapter 2, 6 and 7. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's the scriptures that we read. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. See, all of those prophecies are unfolding. Now look at Luke chapter 1, 68 and 69. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Look at that. We see right here now he's accomplished redemption for his people. You know, the, the Christ was going to come and redeem the people of Israel. Now, they had it misconstrued. They thought that he was going to come, conquer the Romans and give them freedom and restore like Israel back to the days of King Solomon. But they didn't realize that this Jesus was going to come as a baby in a manger. Um, and we see here, we talked about the promise that he would sit on the house of the throne of David forever. What does it say here in Luke chapter 1? Go on in set verses 70 and 71. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Let me ask you, it wasn't the Romans that Jesus delivered us from, but what enemy was it? that Jesus came and delivered us from? He came and delivered us from Satan. It says he defeated Satan and he defeated death. The greatest enemies that we could have. See, the Jews looking for their Messiah had it wrong. It wasn't Rome that Christ came to defeat, but it was death and Satan. And see, we as Christians who trust in Jesus Christ benefit from these great gifts that Christ brought to us. We go on in Luke 2, 25 and 26. Remember I talked about the longing, the anticipating? Here was this man, Simeon, elderly man at the temple of God. Listen to what he says. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, again, the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents, Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he, Simeon, took the baby into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation 
which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. See, here was Simeon. He had been waiting for the Christ to come and this little baby, Joseph and Mary, bringing this little baby into the temple. And Simeon takes that baby in his arms and he declares that he has now seen the consolation of Israel and that he knows that he can now he can die in peace because God promised him before he died that he would see the, the Christ come into the world. And it was a tiny little baby that Simeon held in his arms. See, as we look at this, I think about our generation, and I look at Simeon, I look at Anna the prophetess at the temple as well. They were longing to see the Christ child. Well, today for us, we don't think about, like, we don't really look too much ahead. Like anticipation, longing, those aren't really words that we hear too much in our American culture today. I think one of the reasons is, look at the culture that we've become. We have, you know, we have, we have drive-through restaurants. We have, you know, instant coffee, instant oatmeal. You know, every microwave ovens, DVRs that don't have commercials, so we have to watch commercials. Everything is fast, fast, fast. We don't, we seldom stop and think and anticipate and long for something. Because why? We want it now. And I think one of the things that we can learn about Advent is as centuries of people before us have longed for the Christ child, I think it's something that we ourselves can do a much better job in anticipating and longing for the coming of Jesus Christ. Here's my um, third reason to celebrate Advent. It helps us anticipate Christ's next coming. See, in Revelation chapter 22, Jesus made the phrase, he said, Behold, I am coming quickly. Now, for 2,000 years, we've had to kind of um, adjust our concept of quickly um, because Jesus is still coming. But in God's timing, obviously, Jesus Christ is coming quickly. And what we can anticipate is when we go back and see that all of those Old Testament prophecies predicted the coming of the Messiah and Jesus came just as it was told. That when we look at the New Testament promises and we hear Jesus himself say, Behold, I am coming quickly, we can be assured that as Scripture was fulfilled 2,000 years ago, it's going to be fulfilled again when Jesus Christ comes back at his second coming. You see, Jesus Christ is not done yet. And we're part of that big picture. And that's one of the things that we can look forward to at Advent. You see, many of the Jews, I mentioned this present, this box, in Jesus' day, when Jesus came into the world, they were anticipating that conquering hero that was going to come in and defeat the Romans. And I think what happened is when Jesus revealed himself to the world, all of a sudden they realized, well, wait a minute, we're really comfortable with this man-made religious system that we've developed. Now, this guy, Jesus, he wants to come in and turn everything upside down and change it. Not only does he want to change our system, he wants to change our hearts. And I think for the majority of them, it became way too threatening and they rejected the Messiah. I want to ask a question. How can we today in the church make sure that we are preparing our hearts for the coming of the Messiah when Jesus comes back again? I want to give you a practical means of how you can do that. Just take some quiet time and write a list about the many ways in which the world that we live in is broken. So I think we, we tend to get distracted. Remember I talked about, you know, we can pick up these other false gifts that the world gives us and they bring temporary pleasure and we take our eyes off of God's greatest gift. As you start writing down 
how this world is broken, I think you're going to start to realize, man, I shouldn't settle for the here and now. And if you can't come up with ways that the world is broken, I want to challenge you. It probably means that you're not involved in ministry in the lives of people enough. Because when you're willing to step out of your comfort zone and invest into the lives of people, what you're going to see, you're going to see pain, you're going to see hurting, you're going to see trials, you're going to see sickness, you're going to see sin, you're going to see a mess. Why? Because we're all a mess inside. And as you step out and you start to minister to other people, you start to realize, man, this world that we're in, it really is a mess. And start praying that God will start to change and heal and bring people to himself. And start longing for the coming of Jesus Christ, who's going to come into the world and make things right. So I think we can become way too comfortable in the world that we live in. Advent, you know, celebrates something that took place 2,000 years ago, and we can look back on that. But I want to say, you know what, unless we understand the importance of the incarnation, we'll never truly really worship and, you know, honor Advent or just grasp the significance of what this is all about unless we understand the incarnation. And you might say, what is the incarnation? It's a fancy word for saying God himself coming in the flesh to live among us. And in wrapping up the sermon, I was going to um, actually share something deeper, but I realized a couple weeks ago as I was putting this together, there was no way that I could cover all of this in one message. So one of the things I just want to whet your appetite and say is five reasons that Jesus came to the earth. Now, I'm setting the stage for Pastor Tom because in, next week we're going to finish up the book of James and then we're going to do two weeks on the 16th and the 23rd on the significance of the Advent. We'll probably come up with a fancier title for it, but um, here's the five reasons that we want to put forward that Tom will be preaching through. One, so Jesus came into this earth so he could sympathize with us and help us. Go to Hebrews, talks about him being the great high priest. He has suffered, he's been tempted, he's experienced the things that you've experienced in this broken world, and he can relate to what you're going through. And he has become our great high priest on our behalf. Number two, so he could destroy Satan's work. Folks, trust me, without Jesus Christ in your life, you would never want to stand in front of Satan. We, we would be trounced in a second. But when you have Jesus Christ, there is nothing to fear because Satan has already been defeated and Jesus Christ is the one who's defeated him. The third reason Jesus came, so he can make a perfect sacrifice for our sins. The Bible says he was the perfect unblemished lamb, the perfect sacrifice. Jesus died on the cross so you could have forgiveness of sins your sins forgiven once and for all. The fourth reason, so he could reveal God to us. You see, Jesus came, there's two ways we can get to know God, through his word and through the Son. 2,000 years ago, the Son came into the world, and what did it say? When you look upon the Son, you have seen who? The Father. You see, Jesus came and he revealed, he revealed God to us. And the fifth one, so he could reign on David's throne forever. See, all of those earthly kings, David, Solomon, and all the others, they reigned for a while and died. Jesus Christ came in the line of David, and he reigns on that throne forever. See, these are the reasons. We're going to look into, look into that in um, two weeks. But I want to give you guys 
for those of you who were not here on Wednesday night making the Advent wreaths, in the kits that we gave out, we gave out all of that material, but we also gave two books. We gave the family book. If you want one of those, you can pick one up on the welcome desk in the welcome desk in the lobby. But we also gave out a devotional that was put together by John Piper, Good News of Great Joy. It provides devotional readings for the entire month of December. And what a great means this is for you guys to prepare your hearts. You can pick up a copy of this for free in the book booth right in the church lobby. And I want to challenge our whole church family. Let's keep reading through this in the month of December. And there's a, de a devotional for every day that puts our focus on Jesus Christ and prepares us for Christmas to celebrate in a way that we keep Christ at the center of our Christmas. Now, I know these